1: Learn more at Marines.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweets.
0: Hello and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Feature here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and I hope you've all had a fantastic Spider-Man week. I know I have, hopefully. I'm recording this two days before it comes out, so here's hoping. Anyway, um, we're now into the single figures countdown to Christmas, and here at the podcast we're now looking past the festive season, and on to the first big show of the year. Actually, depends what you class as a big show. If you count day one as a big show, it's the second biggest show. But this is the first premier massive event of the wrestling calendar. It is Wrestle Kingdom. And we are going to be looking back at some of our favourite and arguably some of the greatest Wrestle Kingdom matches of all time. Joining me to go through... Their favorite matches from the Tokyo Dome. I've got one half of East Meets West, Grant McRobbie and Sarah Greve with me here today. Folks, how are we?
2: Good evening, Stephen. Pleasure to be on. Talking about the best of the new Japans.
1: The
0: best of the new 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 (laughs) Japan. Yeah, it's great. I I mean, we're going into a Wrestle Kingdom season this year, well, next year technically, where, where they're going to have three nights. Still don't have a scooby how it's going to work. Don't even know if they know how fully how it's going to work. But, it'll
1: be fine, it'll be fine. Oh, we'll find
0: out soon enough. But before we get into these matches, just a usual bit of housekeeping, please hit the subscribe button if this is the first time you're listening to us here. And we're on all good podcast platforms, be it Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, any of them, we're on it. Uh, You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And we're also on YouTube. You can find all our content on there, including Quiz Showdown, which I believe the most recent edition of it is now live at time of release. So let's get into the matches. Now, what the way is going to work tonight? We're all going to pick two matches. We're going to talk about Simple as. If you have a match that you think we should talk about, we didn't talk about, Hit us in the comments on social media and tell us what your favourite Wrestle Kingdom match of all time is. And maybe one of the ones we mentioned. So we'll go straight into it. We'll go to Grant. Grant, what's your first one?
2: The first one I am going to throw out there is going back a few years um, to a rivalry which has continued since their tenure in New Japan into WWE. And I am opening with Shinsuke Nakamura vs AJ Styles. And that was a Wrestle Kingdom ten match, an absolute barnstormer that has always been heralded as one of the best that has came out of out of New Japan over the years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I find Joyce it See, I think outside of probably Kenny Omega and Okada, this is probably one of the most talked about Wrestle Kingdom matches. Within like a non U Japan fandom sphere, I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, I think like especially when it came to them coming face to face in WWE as well, that everyone was just like, "It's is it going to be like the Wrestle Kingdom match?" And this is, I think, as well, what prompted a lot of people to go back and watch this match, um, especially for the folks that obviously are not um, more more well educated. Um, when it comes to New Japan that this is obviously what they, they were expecting and I would say definitely something that people should have the expectations of especially when you've got a company like New Japan that give their wrestlers a little bit more freedom in what they do and that they're planning storylines for it. it feels like not that well in advance but the mind of like, Gedo and his booking and just everything else is just... It's just, like, chef's kisses. You yeah, I mean, you like... mentioned
0: the fact that the two are allowed a bit of freedom. I think especially these two at this particular point in time, because it is now well known, this was the last... Both men's last big match in the company. Both of them would soon turn up at WWE. Uh, AJ Styles, first of all, make his debut in the Royal Rumble that year, and Shinsuke Nakamura eventually... Uh, debuting on NXT at TakeOver at WrestleMania weekend that year when he's facing Sami Zayn. Uh, Grant, what was it about this match that stood out to you really the most? I mean, there is several elements to it, obviously, but what was it in particular that makes it great great for you?
2: To me, it's it's the fact that it really perfectly encapsulates um, the styles of both men in the ring, um without doing the thing that New Japan can be guilty of, even though I'm a huge fan of it, of going a bit too long. Um this match came in at just under twenty-five minutes and it done a perfect showcase. There was a great story being told because these two had such a rivalry and it always felt like Nakamura always had AJ's number at every point along the way.
0: Yes um I always look back at and look at it i was always like see the way it was talked about i always thought this is a five star Melpson match written all over they gave it three four and three quarter stars which is surprising given how much this match is kind of hyped in so many circles
2: yeah i mean the fact that like it didn't get the five stars especially when you watch it back now it still holds up like it's still an absolute barnstormer and you know the the biggest problem it ever made for the two of them was Trying to match that again in WWE because it truly did feel like they caught lightning in the bottle with this match, with the the build to it. Um, in hindsight, seeing what was going to happen afterwards with these men all leaving the company, it made a huge, it made a big shockwave in the business at the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely why, I mean, why the match they have at WrestleMania in 2018 is not as not universally received because it's kind of being compared to this level. I think if they I think if they never had this match and just had the match at WrestleMania at 34, I mean people would still think that's a great match at 34. But it's the fact that it's had this bar that had been set and you know well looked at I think that was kind of the issue with it. Uh well not the issue with that the issue with the 34 match. This match is great. I'm not even I'm not even gonna start uh, See, I mean a lot of people who maybe watch AJ Styles purely from his WWE work or even just maybe his WWE work and his TNA work know that he's a bit, he's more custom to, more of a high flyer, I many people might take him as, but in this particular match, he goes strike for strike with arguably one of the best strikers <laughs> in wrestling. I mean, you don't get called the king of strong style if you don't hit like very hard. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I would say definitely because, like, we are we do know that AJ likes to do like springboards and all this sort of stuff. Um, whereas, obviously Nakamura, he knows is very very, you know, mat based, and that's where he he likes to stay. Like, it's it's a very very rare thing to see Nakamura leave his feet, or not even leave his feet, leave the ground, um, or even leave the ring. But I think that's obviously what made. AJ Styles such a good contender for this because like you could argue that like people like Triple H are like the cerebral assassin, but AJ Styles can get you in, in your head just as well as anybody else out there um, and can adapt his style to make it you know a, make him into like a legitimate challenger, and that's that's kind of obviously what was the idea of going into this match that you know because the IWGP Championship was more synonymous with Nakamura. Right when you think of the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, a lot of people state Nakamura is the name that they associate with it. And um, so AJ being like the potential challenger to take away like Nakamura's like precious wee title um, is something that is very very carefully placed upon him, and you can see it like in any other styles that. AJ can actually adapt to pretty much anybody that he's in the ring with because he can, he does he is like even a well striker he may not be completely well known for his strikes um, and he may be more well known for like the technical side or even the high flying side but he's got a little bit of each in his arsenal that he knows when to pick out just when he needs it. Mm. Yeah,
0: definitely, definitely does not Grant, I a love probably underrated part of Styles' game is he's selling in some aspects. And I think he's selling in this match. is absolutely spot on. In particular, as we get towards the close, I mean, the selling and the closing streak of the match, I think he does absolutely spectacularly.
2: Oh, yeah, it's absolutely subliminal just how beautifully well he does it. And one of the most amazing things about this chemistry that they had is that the fun fact... At the time that they faced at the Wrestle Kingdom 10 match, that was their first ever singles encounter. They'd faced off three times in tag team matches between 2008 and 2015, but they had never done a singles match. So to see how they gel together, and just the fact that they really went for each other, like the, the taunting, the the one-upsmanship, everything was there. It
0: was also really one of the more devastating style clashes I've ever seen. Without know accidentally breaking a man's neck i mean it's just comes it just looks absolutely beautiful the ways Does see like the angle that nakamura goes down on it it's just like it looks like it hurts like hell
2: oh yeah it's such an ugly ugly like that's the thing with the styles clash it can be such a safe move or it can be such a dangerous move but either way it always looks there's something that just looks particularly ugly about it and uncomfortable and the fact that Nakamura really went in digging deep, like even hitting the Bloody Sunday. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's, not, it's a move should I would love to see more often. I don't really think we see it
0: nearly enough in wrestling, particularly nowadays. I mean, obviously, a lot of the guys that use it quite regularly are in a more safe environment in WWE, which is why they can't really use it. Um, Sarah, one thing I think I'd be keen to discuss on... With these, some of these matches is some is card placement because I think to get a good match, I mean you can watch a match in isolation and think it's great, but see me, you're watching it live or you're watching the full show, the card placement really dictates the factor in it and these guys had that spot they were on second last in the card not you, Wrestle Kingdom don't usually see what WWE kind of do sometimes in their big shows and kind of have a cool down just before the main event in some cases these guys, they followed Shibata and Ishii fighting for the Never open weight, which was a four-and-a-half-star match in itself, and then came just before a five-star match between Okada and Tanahashi. So to be in the kind of middle ground of that one and still be talked about as the most talked-about match coming out of that show it just shows, you know, one, how well they clicked, and two, just how well the two guys put it all on the line to kind of end their New Japan careers in a high.
1: I mean... Absolutely, because like when you look at the cards, like you'll start off with the you know traditional junior heavyweight uh, title matches. It's a it's a very easy thing to, to open that kind of card with, and then bringing it like bringing it home because there was a lot of there was a lot of titles on the line that night. I think every match apart from Goto and and Naito uh, was <laughs> was for a championship, um, so. To have that, like, they sort of had their sort of midway breakup with, like, the junior heavyweight and then the tag team and then that singles match to sort of bring it home towards, like, you know, the sort of culmination going, right, okay, getting everyone all hyped up um, and then sort of getting really really set because as much as, like, you know, Shibata and Ishii for the Never Openweight Championship, I think a lot of people have probably use that time to, to get themselves like a little bit cooled down and to get themselves all ready for these two upcoming main events, especially because obviously Okada and Tanahashi are always going to deliver. That's for the main title. That's always going to go on last. Um, but for the, it, it was also making the Intercontinental Championship look a little bit more pristine and, and a little bit more worthy of the time. Cause like there's sometimes that that has actually like dropped down the card in the past and, Maybe not been treated um, like like an important belt. So having this as a second to last match and the one that it's a very very big thing because not a lot of folk were realising that that was AJ Styles's last match in New Japan before turning up at the Rumble. Um, the it was like it was a very very sought after thing him being the hottest free agent because nobody seen that coming.
0: Yeah, it, it, I think it officially got announced until uh, after it was after the show finished. I think it was a, there was a lot of reports came out just after it that Day Two uh, gals and Anderson were all had all handed their notice in that moment. so it was all pretty quick turnaround on it. So, but it would still go out and then just you know do what they had to do and not play, you know, not piss about with it. the fact that oh, I'm leaving just to that is. Fair play to all of them. But, yeah, it's a good choice, a very strong choice to start us off in this particular show, Grant. Thank you very much for that. Um, Sarah, I'll go to you in this one. You've got two matches that are quite, you know, more recent, probably the two most recent matches on our six pick from. So what's the first one you're going to go for? Uh,
1: yeah, so the first match I'm going to go with is Wrestle Kingdom 12. And it is the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Okada and Naito.
0: Interesting, Okada and Naito. Yeah, what was it about that particular match that you went that you liked about it?
1: Um, Well, I think like more towards like this is again, this was my first Wrestle Kingdom that I watched uh, for a match that we will talk about later on. Um, So I, I was getting like first introduced to this and like getting told the backstory of it was. Where they finally going to pull the trigger on Naito? Obviously, after him winning, um, it, it was like the G one was it not that he won? Um, I can't exactly remember the actual thing going into this, but it was where they going to pull the trigger on Naito after you know Okada being like the longest reigning uh, heavyweight champion, and this is it was just the idea of that. That watching the match as well that when it came came to the storytelling, despite the obvious outcome, which we will talk about of um I think I've never seen a crowd more a bit deflated come the end of it. Um that was the only thing that sort of let the match down for me, but even it doesn't take away from the match itself. Um that it 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 felt like obviously the culmination of NATO and hoping that he was gonna, you know, get the big one, but he didn't quite get it. Um which I think was a little bit more heartbreaking. In the, in the whole story of it.
0: Now, Grant, you came in. obviously, you came into this show a probably a different spectrum from a lot of people. I know a lot of people like myself and Sarah hadn't experienced the U Japan Wrestle Kingdom to a great extent, but you'd been following it for a bit longer and I know fine well we were talking about this before the show how you were maybe swaying on talking about this match yourself but it was that kind of ending to it that maybe that put you off of what what was a a
2: really good main event? Oh yeah, the like the sort of like the finish, like the 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 whole will they won't they on Naito. Like going into it, I was solidly behind Naito. I'm a big LIJ fan, um, and the it, it's it's one of the things that will always hold this back for me. Is is the finish? It's the one thing that will always bug me to the end of my days. Is the fact that I always felt that this should have been Naito's time although they did kind of make up for it in the long term i'll give them that but gedo for what you have done to me that wee year you had a little gimp. <laughs> because it was just uh, i mean if you, if you look at the sort of the run that naito had going into it it was He beat omega in the uh, in the g1 mm-hmm. which was pretty massive um i still remember that final it was one of my favorite g1 finals um, in 2017 but yeah coming in like as sort of like for for anyone that wasn't overly invested in New Japan just coming into this as a fresh thing, I think anyone could really pick up how much was at stake with this one. It was beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like again, I'm going to talk about placement against Sarah because obviously this main event, as it should probably, a lot of people will always say that they, unless it's a massive feud, the the championship should always finish, but the big match, which we'll, spoiler, we might might talk about this in a bit more detail later, but the big match that came just before it was to many people, the hook, you know, for the pay-per-view and the kind of Kenny Omega Chris Jericho match, which is a big reason why so many people tuned in to the pay-per-view. No disrespect Mm -hmm. to the guys that came before it on the card, it's a solid card, but you know, they didn't really have the appeal to that kind of the Western audience that Chris Jericho obviously had, so I Mm -hmm. think in a way that these two kind of went out there not in a way, maybe it was either going to go one way or the other for them, they went in, maybe with a bit of pressure off them, Mm -hmm. because they kind of nobody was really expecting maybe too much from them before that one Mm -hmm. but at the same time as well, they could have fell into a trap that has happened quite a lot in a lot of big shows, the one that kind of always springs to mind is WrestleMania 25 where Triple H and Randy Orton have to follow Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, and just mm-hmm. does it work for them? Obviously, I'm not saying that Chris Jericho at this point of his career, but, well, he was a really good match, I'm not I'm, I'm going to take that back, because <laughs> you know, Taker and Michaels were at the end of their career so I can't really make that comparison, but do you think it probably was a case of they maybe went in, you know, just thinking we can just go for it, and not the way, not the, way the rest of are 25 did?
1: Um. Well, I do have to say that, like, WrestleKick the four, uh, 12 is actually one of my favourite shows. That me and Daniel were sitting watching it last night. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a quality
0: show. Um, I, I, I watched it. I had to, uh, I didn't... I was watching it in work, and I, could, I had to try and find a stream. And I couldn't obviously get a stream <laughs> on my work laptop, so I found somebody was streaming it on Facebook. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to admit to being one of those guys in this particular matter, because... I he's
1: one of those guys.
0: I'm on a work computer, and I didn't have access to the, the stream stuff. So I couldn't actually get on anything else other than Facebook. That's um, That's, that's what I'm going with, I'm sticking with
1: it Yeah, no, because this was, again, like I was even, I'm always going to wholeheartedly admit it that I knew fuck all about New Japan until, like, this I knew that they had ties with Ring of Honor because, obviously, I was really, really upset that Cheeseburger didn't win the New Japan Rumble match I was really upset for him Um, But this is when, obviously, the and I wished I want to talk about it, but because it features one person that fucked it up for everybody, I can't talk about that junior heavyweight title match because this is when I fell in love with Horomo Takahashi. This is the moment this is the, the night I fell in love with him, and he's the reason I came back to watch in New Japan. Um, so I'm gonna give him all the props to that. Um, and obviously Hiroki go to Minoru Suzuki, just mm, mm, brilliant match. Um, so I think them knowing that they've got Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. and this is Chris Jericho's first match in New Japan. We had no idea it was coming until, obviously, he laid down the challenge, and it was a big draw, and I think everyone knew that, which is why I don't think Okada and Naito had anything to worry about because they knew Kenny, obviously, from the years of working with him, and it was going to be okay that they could still go on to the main event because they've got a really good story behind it as well. Like, Naito was that rising star. Tokyo Swartz had main him Wrestler of the Year as well. And the fact that, like, everyone knows the winner of the G1 gets the main event for the title at Wrestle Kingdom, doesn't matter what circumstances anything else is happening. That is always, the, it's a guaranteed shoe in It's not like saying they're in the main event of WrestleMania and then it's like, they're on in the middle of the card when you're in the women's rumble match. It's no like that. It is they are guaranteed that main spot, that match with red shoes, ref in the match, um, and everyone obviously wanted to see this big story. And this is something that I will always give New Japan so much credit for. Is how smart they are when it comes to storytelling. And these two men, like, and this is just even the beginning of like this this storyline that became two years in the making and um, even if nobody realised it's like Hangman no one saw it coming until like just before that this was two years in the making for it as well and it all again it's it sadly blew up in Naito's face but I, that was just more the fact that he wanted to use his old finisher um, and go no 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 I need to do this go up to the top rope and obviously he fucked it by going to that top rope um, and Okada knew that it was like it gave him enough time but then it helped in the kickstart of Naito learning from his mistakes and getting there two years later so it it worked but it was really it was quite dis- disheartening to obviously watch it and Daniel has said because he was there at Wrestle Kingdom 12 like that's the match he went for was for Naito and Okada um, and it was the feeling like downhearted and a little bit like, not it's not disappointment, it wasn't like booing, etc. It's just like, okay, he won, but he didn't get to win. Um, which, when you don't always need that big, massive moment because of obviously what this kick started, um, and this is what is really, really smart that any point a storyline can actually refresh and change or start, it doesn't always go. Right, everything has to culminate at Wrestle Kingdom, and then the New Year's Dash everything resets because not everything has to. And that's why I think like they they Gato was smart with this. And at the point he he was still with Okada before he you know turned tail and went with White and Bullet Club. That it 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 was working. It was absolutely working for them, and this is something that it even just. Before, during, and after, that it, it just it worked, and I, it it doesn't make me as mad as it could have. I think just knowing what, obviously what came after. If nothing had culminated after that, then yeah, I would have been mad. Um, but it, just leaving it like that, and then going on the sale. Of obviously, Night redeeming himself, getting there again two years later to you know, take the big one in the double gold dash, it felt worth it in a way. Yeah,
0: and no, I mean, we got a, a pay per view this one where uh, uh, Cody Rhodes took a loss and then didn't have to get his heat back, it would get a win.
1: <laughs> it was like, the battle was... of the good looking guys, it was the battle of the handsome boys. So,
0: yeah, I think we're all a winner of the fact that Cody lost and then didn't end up having to win uh not long after that uh to to round off this match uh melissa gave it four and a half stars which is actually the lowest of the six matches we've really got here is that really just a testament to just how good the quality of matches are wrestle kingdom and these big high stake affairs
2: yeah i mean it's i i I think what really hits it was um was kind of the finish and what because what, I, I, I mean I've read sort of like Melzer's review and everything at the time and the, the one thing that he kind of felt was that the match started out a bit slow but the finishing sequence alone more than merited the, uh, the right and again a big part of it again comes down to like we talked about with the the last match selling new Japan wrestle Kingdom main events are always a beautiful beautiful thing for people selling during them. It's, it's usually got some of the best selling you will see in professional wrestling because you're talking the matches are going on for over half an hour so they need to be able to sell things like selling exhaustion but still finding something in the tank to keep going
0: Yeah definitely I mean, 34 minutes, you know, that's a heck of an affair but yes yeah, a, a top main event for Wrestle Kingdom and now we're, while we're on Wrestle Kingdom 12, I'm actually going to stick with Wrestle Kingdom 12 while we're on it to on to my first of my two matches and it's the one we've kind of mentioned in part when talking about this particular match. I'm mentioning the match for the IWGP US heavyweight title, the No DQ match, Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho, Alpha versus Omega. Now, I think we we couldn't really talk about top Wrestle Kingdom matches without talking about this one. Purely I think just because of the impact this had not just for New Japan, but for wrestling, I think, outside of WWE spectrum, because I think by Chris Jericho going to New Japan, it obviously drew eyes on, you know, that company, to such a bigger audience, and also the fact that it just showed that there probably is more to wrestling than just WWE. There is that one. And I think a star of Chris Jericho going out there and dipping his toes back into that one, just made such a massive impact from what we've had in the, you know, the three years since then. But out with that in terms of the match, I actually love the fact that it's such a different style of Kenny Omega match that we don't usually see not until he went to, you know, AEW and did the stuff with Moxley. But in terms of his U Japan work, he always did the stuff going outside the ring. But he went kind of it felt a lot more, you know, vicious in a way some of the stuff that was going on it was a lot more type of brawling stuff that we haven't really seen before in terms of stuff but I just think this was a great example of, I think of why many people think Chris Jericho is one of the you know the greatest of all time how he can quickly adjust to being in the WWE bubble for so long working that style jump out of it and at his age obviously he's obviously no spring chicken and still put on an absolute belt of match before one of the Best of all time at this particular point. Uh said, I will go back to you on this one because obviously you briefly mentioned this match when talking about your match. Uh how did you feel about, you know, this? Because it was a, a generational type match, you know, it was something that so many people were buzzed about because as you mentioned, it they teased it for months and it, it got so many people excited to watch a, a big pay-per-view in January, it wasn't the rumble.
1: <laughs> mm. I mean, I think the thing that sh- more shocked the world was the fact that Jericho was like working shows for WWE not even like a few weeks before this was officially announced. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone was just—I think I was just mere shocked at that. I was like, "Wait a minute!" There was, and this is when, like you know, keeping secrets and keeping shit off the internet works because there's so many times that we get things spoiled. Of going, oh, this person was seen backstage, or this person's got connections with this person, and you're just like, nothing. Nobody had any fucking idea that Chris Jericho was in the works. Even if it was supposed to be supposed to be a one-time deal. Um obviously we all know that he had um links with New Japan. Obviously, when he when he worked there, I think it was like what, '97, I think was the last time that he had actually worked with New Japan. So this is coming up, like, nearly two decades. Um, which, again, was a big, big thing. To then take on what a lot of people would have classed as a dream match. It's like, oh, I would love to see... Because we all do it. We are all guilty of doing it. If people say that they don't, they're fucking liars. Of saying that they want... To, oh, imagine if this person could go against this person. Because we've done it with, like, Charlotte and Trish. And then we've done it with, like, such and such and such and such. To then have the idea that, because we never thought that this was even well before The Forbidden Door was even, you know, a splinter. But you would have thought and seeing Kenny Omega, like, the, one of the current greatest of all time, like, of the current generation, against one of the, the greatest of all time in just, like, any other generation. Like, this this was a sparkling thing, and this is the smartest and I think, I still think it's one of the smartest matches to ever happen in wrestling because, and this is like, Gato knew, and I think Chris Jericho knew, which is why I think he was more than hyped to do this, was the fact that not only will it expose a lot of the Western audience to New Japan, which obviously it's going to get subscribers to New Japan World, and it's going to get merch and all this sort of stuff. It was going to sell tickets, I mean, the the Dome does sell out every single year without a shadow of a doubt but then this is what's bringing other folk it is, it is very very similar to like having a mainstream appearance at Wrestlemania it's getting that extra revenue in and all it's done from there on out is help kickstart an entire revolution to oh we could see this person versus this person because it made you realise that anything was possible on wrestling again and that's, that was the that was the magical thing about it.
0: I think it's still mental. Four years on, but I remember when this first when he first appeared in that uh, you know, it was a ring of honor video. And it was mental everybody was talking at the time, going, Oh, him and Vince have talked this out and him and Vince have said, Ah, it's okay. You kind of just listen you listen to some of the stuff Jericho said in the four years after it got off. God's sake, there's, there's <laughs> more to that than just, yeah, says is okay for me to work a show. <laughs> and then, like, two years later, talk as Jericho becomes the, the anti-WWE podcast. <laughs> gets the views out, you know. But um, talking about the actual in-ring stuff, Grant, there was a Jericho's latter work in WWE, he did a lot more stuff as a character than an actual than he's in-ring stuff. He did so much to help Kevin Owens, you know, get over on that point when the two of them were playing those best friend characters. So people weren't sure what they were going to see from him in the ring, but I think it's fair to say that he, I still think this is the best match he's had in this four-year spell. And obviously he's had some decent stuff in AAW, but to still say that your first match is still the peak, it just shows how well they kind of clicked as a as rivals, in this case.
2: Yeah, like the whole the the lead up to it, like the surprise attack at Dominion, that which further cements Dominion being the big place for surprises in the New Japan calendar every year. Mm-hmm. But his in ring work for this, the fact that. New Japan does not often do sort of like no disqualification sort of style matches. It's a very, very rare thing. Um, but they let them run run with this where they, they they really towed the line between doing an American style match and a Japanese style match. They were able to mesh the two styles because the two of them have done so much of it over the years and it was kind of Jericho reminding people I can still do this real proper hard going in ring style and for Omega, it was him kinda of showing I can adapt to an American side of things as well. It met perfectly in the middle. It had some beautifully brutal spots going out, like sort of. We got our usual tables were involved, chairs were involved. We got a good old bit, good old fashioned bit of colour getting involved.
1: Their
2: mm-hmm. like, their their offences they work so well together, and plus things like the old the old school line team are getting brought out. Beautiful, Yeah, mm-hmm. there,
0: there's a lovely spot in it where Jericho counters the one wing angel. Into the kind of walls, you know, line tamer I think is absolutely, you know, beautifully done. Uh Jericho's table spot is so bad it's funny, type <laughs> one, <laughs> Because the way he kind of just like hangs off, it's just like he gets hit, it kinda oh, and it kind of, uh, just lets go. Just <laughs> like. I think he kinda of just I think he obviously just, like, he's in his late forties, it's just like, do I really want to do this? Yeah, fuck you, <laughs> you know. Um, Said, I know you love a bit of humour. I mean, that was a bit great. But a, really, <laughs> a really funny bit. See when they're doing the brawl first outside the ring, that the bit where they knock down the comments, comment, commentary. But it's great. And then it's just like it bat, batters red shoes, and then he battles red shoes. Done. Oh, no. Or as they co- or as shoot, shoot it, I mean, you oh. know, you know. I was just I, I rewatched it. God, oh my god, it's shot, sure. Uh, but it's just like he just that screaming, <laughs> going, "This is your son!" <laughs> I mean, he's just a he's a bastard, but it just makes
1: you absolutely piss yourself, doesn't it? <laughs> well, there's that as well. I mean, and also like the infamous taking the, um, taking the cameraman's camera, as well. Like there's, there's always stuff that you can count on Chris Jericho to get over, if it, even if it is like you know, first of all, being a bastard and you know putting shorter. In the, in the walls of Jericho and obviously pie, like put, it's like even just pieing red shoes in the face you're just like oh that's red shoes how dare you do that to red shoes like and that you, you were kind of like hoping that red shoes was going to like you know do something um but it was the stuff like you know taking the three chairs to the ring stealing the camera's camera um and it was just like getting some shots of a mega And then he turns the camera to himself and then flips off the crowd. I mean, it's small things like that. You're just like, this is Chris Jericho. He is a character and a wrestler. And there is a damn thing that he is the best. Like MJF says he's better than everyone. And, you know, we know it. But unfortunately, it'll take a lot for him to get on the same level as Jericho humor for just small, tiny little things.
0: Yeah, because I think there's like you look at wrestlers from the past, kind of the, the generation you get the likes of. Many people who say like the Rock and Stone Cold are like the best, you know, single characters. You get the likes of people who say like it's a Bret Hart are the best pure wrestlers, but I don't think there's many wrestlers who can be so diverse and good at different gimmicks than Jericho. I mean, it comes in, he did the Y2J stuff when he was in WWE, had the, the original list when he was in WCW. I mm-hmm. mean, a year before this, he was literally doing the list stuff in WWE. You Getting
1: know, a scarf over and,
0: you know. He, he got a scarf over. But 10 years before it, he was having a feud with Bob Barker. <laughs> I mean, he had it all. But, God, uh, we've talked a lot about Jericho. I mean, what else? What can we say really about Omega in this match? He plays his part fantastically too.
2: That's. It. I mean, Omega was like sort of. This was very much at like the height of Omega's popularity. Um, you know, who didn't love Omega at this point? It's on. It's like long in the back of a whole series of other great matches. It was on a fantastic US title run as well. Um, Omega was really. It was sort of like for a lot of people, even though Okada was kind of your your big name for New Japan technically. Omega is unmistakably the man that helped transcend the boundaries to reach out to the Western audience um, and this match with Jericho will forever be probably the big turning point in that tide
0: mm-hmm. yeah he, he gets the win obviously Kerry and it's you know a great 1-2 end to this particular Wrestle Kingdom 12. Five stars this match got from Dave Meltzer. The first five stars that Chris Jericho got his career, which is actually nothing to think of. <laughs> but hey-ho, um, I think he had some top, top matches when he was in WWE as well, but this was an absolute great watch to, And one I was glad that I did watch while working in office and luckily I had a screen that nobody could see. The way my off the way my desk was sat, it was kind of like, and we were in a wee corner, and nobody can actually see my screen. So I was like, yeah. And anytime somebody came and talked to me, I just kind of I just kind of minimized my Facebook. Just like, oh yeah, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing. I am enjoying nothing. Anyway, that is we've all had one match, and now, now it's time to go back round. Uh, Grant, you are going to go for match. That I believe is one that we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast. I think in the last eighteen or so months.
2: Yeah I am going for the historic because we love that word in this place the historic, historic the first match to break the meltzer scale, i'm talking wrestle kingdom 11 the the match that got my attention to new japan and really kick started the full obsession is omega okada the headline main event from wrestle kingdom 11 uh, a a six star classic um doesn't matter what your views are on okada wilson you cannot deny the absolute <laughs> beauty that this match was.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I've spoken about it on podcasts that it's a good match. I mean, I, I, I attribute a lot of it to Kenny and not to Okada, but <laughs> hey-ho, I'm trying not to. I, I don't really want to piss many Okada fans off any more than I already have in the <laughs> past. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we couldn't talk about Great Special Kingdom matches, I think it's fair to say, without Talking about this one and we have talked about it so much and did you, you had this as your second, I think I believe you say out of the series, did you not? Am I am I right in thinking that again?
2: Yeah, like when it came to, this was my second favourite in the whole series of the of the four matches they done. Um yeah like the the reason that, that the number four was number one well, number one for me was because Omega finally won the big belt, the uh the long crusade was final. But this match itself, um even down to the subtle storytelling, like right down to the like the elaborate ring entrances, Omega coming out with the whole Terminator look, coming out with the shotgun, um, right down to even the point when Okada is coming out and Omega's literally got a bit of Okada's money, crunches it in his hand and t- throws it at Okada. Such, such a subtle little thing that some people might not have noticed, but it just kind of showed the contempt that Omega had um, and really trying to prove himself because it's like, well, I'm the first foreigner to win the G1 climax. doesn't it get much bigger than that.
0: Yeah, I remember actually seeing that bit because, uh, well, purely briefly, just before we came on, I decided like the half hour, the hour before we came on, I'm going to watch the highlights of all the matches. I <laughs> got to this match, <laughs> uh, which took me ages to realise that I was watching the second match. It <laughs> was the second one until the point well. Cody Rhodes comes down with a towel and I'm like, wait a the minute. Bomb. This is, this, is, this is the wrong match because I'm sitting there watching it going yeah this I, I was a pure i getting dead hype now oh no I put the right match on <laughs> I had to go back and find the, find the actual match and I did eventually find it uh, yeah. I mean see I think again with this match I think what I really like about it is you get so many wrestling matches that'll go like they'll build and they'll build and they'll build and, they'll build and then eventually you'll get the climax It so just go like on a complete like you know, uh, just a straight line, just go that one way. But I think with this match, they start slow, they chain wrestle for a good bit, then they pick it up, slow down, pick it up, slow down, pick up, slow down, pick up. And I think it's that aspect of it that kind of keeps you on edge because you kind of think, they obviously don't slow it down too much that so you get absolutely bored, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like they just don't go one pace, one gear. They show they've got so many different gears and I think that's what um, you know got the audience so intrigued with so many aspects of it.
1: I mean, there is that. Uh, like I'm currently, right, sitting looking at some statistics from like this match, which it's quite funny to see. Like there's pie charts and bar charts and everything. It's great. Um, but it's like a total of like over like the 46 minutes that this was going on, right? So you get 70 strikes from Kenny Omega, 60 from Okada, and then you go down to like the submissions that Kenny spends um, about 92 seconds in five different submissions and Okada spends about 103 seconds in five submissions and it's quite fun to actually look at i will post i will post this in the chat later um i <laughs> like looking just like the offense as well and it's it's so close in terms of like offense like kenny does get the majority of this offense as opposed to okada which when when you have this sort of match when i don't think they even realized how big the series was going to be Um obviously like the first foreigner that's going to be main eventing Wrestle Kingdom after winning um the G1 and going up against you know the, the poster child of <laughs> of New Japan Wrestling obviously who's probably soon to be the new ace once um Shitanahashi Tanahashi retires, like that's what they're probably gearing up towards, is he's going to be the new ace. In
0: 2026. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> or the day that Stephen watches wrestling. Um, the, having this, like, they were the, again so smart about it because Kenny was the, the breakout that everyone really wanted to see. Like, we, we had known about. This Kenny Omega, who had, you know, left the WWE, who got told he wasn't going to make it, and then literally turned around and gave the biggest fuck you to everybody in the world that ever doubted him. Um, and this was the match that he, that is like basically his crowning moment. Just, the, the it was like, again, like, start off slow, pick it up, slow it down a little bit, because. And again, I hate referring to fucking sex when I do this, but that's what you do when you want to enjoy the ride. You start off with a slow getting and then fucking, you know, pick up the pace, slow it down. Because all you're doing is just fucking going, right, I've got this in the bag, I've got them in the palm of my hand, and I know exactly what I'm doing before I go in, boom, 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 off you go. Right? Right. Uh-huh.
0: I I I I would really love to see what's going on in your living room right now. Like, is Dan right? Is Dan there? Is he kind of just... No, he's, go,
1: not. he's not. He's not. He ran away to the bedroom because he keeps getting in trouble from making noises. Shut up.
2: I re- I refer back to the last Renegade Pro Wrestling show, Sarah. I just told you all you need today is just give him a wee smack around. It'll oh, be all right.
1: Fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I need to stop making these comparisons. I mean,
0: yeah, you walk, you walk in references like that, so I don't.
1: Know really. I, know, I know, I'm the one that keeps bringing them up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I can think of to get my point across. Anyway, it's a good match. It's a very, very good main event. It starts off slow, goes fast, goes slow, goes fast, and then you get the big climax of a fellow wedding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anybody has listened to like the last four shows that Sarah's been on in this podcast and doesn't know Daniel, one day they're just gonna meet him going I know about you boy. <laughs> I know your
2: game.
1: I do that's why I stopped listening to any shows I do.
2: I fucking wonder he's fucking like on. stop stop telling my secrets, woman. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, Anyway, Grant,
0: get us back
2: onto the wrestling. No. <laughs> anyway, back back to the wrestling. So yeah, you know th- this this match. This match does so well because when you break it down, even when you go right down to the basic fundamentals, like the, when they're going in between big bits, it doesn't feel like they're trying to go from spot to spot. It feels like an organic journey. There's. All the big moves get. We get all the big moves get. We get the Wiley bomb. We get Kreutz, or Okada's breaking out his usual signatures, and that's what I love with these two. There's so many signature things, but they also find a way that even when they do the same thing multiple times in the match, like the V trigger, Omega can make it feel unique each time rather than just being the same general strike being thrown out. Because let's face it, that's what the V trigger is. It's just a very basic but straight brutal knee to the heat. Um. But they find a way to especially sell things like the exhaustion setting in. Um, And it set a lot of the template for the future because when you look at all of their future matches in the back of it, there is almost like a template from this first match and then they evolve it and spin the narrative on the other matches. Things like going for the Rainmaker, selling exhaustion, all that sort of stuff. And And it wouldn't have been possible without how solid... This laid the foundation for the entire series and the fact that they didn't rush it. They didn't do a a Cena Norton, we're going to give you the match 267 times in a year.
0: I think another aspect that they do quite a lot over the series as well, this match gets into it as well as the kind of Kenny's how desperate he is to get that and one wing angel on Okada. He doesn't quite hit it here, and then in the future matches, he does hit it, but he's too close to the ropes. And the one time he properly hits it, that's when he gets his win. You know, it starts that off and it just works so perfectly on it. Um, Sarah, have you got no- any non-six uh, comments you'd like to make up further on this match? You know, is there anything, you know, that we need to know? <laughs> no,
1: just that it's a very, very good start off to, you know, what became the series of Omega and Okada. I mean, you've always got to start somewhere. And if we knew what was going to, you know, come in the later matches. that It's no wonder that, you know, it's part of the holy grail that is of looking at New Japan matches. And I think
0: as well, it had so much influence, this match as well, on things out with, you know, New Japan, because I think the many people this kind of was the beginning of the whole big, long-ass match main event of two guys that would just go at it for time with the false finishes and that team. It's a formula we saw quite a lot in the black and gold version of NXT as well. They would do it a lot of the big shows as well. I think it's something uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H quite really like as well, and I think a lot of it stems from this match, I'd assume. Anyway, you know, if anybody watched the Gargano-Adam Gold series, I think there's a bit of influence in that one from this stuff, but yeah, I don't think... It's a hard one to kind of talk about On this particular show Because we've talked about it so much I mean we've done a blooming full show On Okada versus Omega Which you can listen to On our back catalogue Just search for it Okada versus Omega It's there I talk really badly about Okada on it But hey ho I'm not going to talk very badly about this one Because I need to look at notes We're not going to talk about them again on this particular show Yes (laughs) Uh I say I froze a couple? Uh, no, no, hopefully not. Hopefully uh, uh, So, Sarah, what are you going to go for? What's your uh, second match?
1: <clears throat> well, my match that I'm going for is probably, without a doubt, one of the best junior heavyweight title matches in the history of wrestling. And it is... Mr Will Osprey defending the junior heavyweight title against my one true love... The man who must be protected at all costs, Mr. Huromo Takahashi, in mm-hmm. his return to New Japan after, you know, having issues with his neck, after, you know, he got broken. I mean if
0: he, I mean <laughs> if I mean if he somehow listens to this show and hears with the comments you made in the last section, you might be his one true love as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's okay. He is my shining bright little peacock. And I, I, I will love him so I will love him forever. So it's okay. Oh,
0: oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, so the reason that I picked this match was not only the fact that, first of all, it's got home with Takahashi in the fucking match, right? Um, it was more the fact that everyone knows that I am a huge fan of the junior style of wrestling, like the high flying, the flips, the kicks, even just like the sort of Fast pace, and even it's the weird shit that can go on in a junior title match. Like, you do never know what to expect. And when you mix that with New Japan, oh my god, it is like a bag of confetti. And not only the fact that, you know, Hiromu is a bright, colourful character, that he is pretty much like a bag of confetti. Um that, like, this match was rated five and a half stars, five and a half freaking stars. And to this day, I still believe it's one of the best junior heavyweight title matches to ever grace our screens and not because it is also you know featuring two of the very best that has ever graced the junior heavyweight division and as much as it pains me because I'm not a big fan of Will Osprey, I am a big fan of his wrestling right I actually really really love watching his matches which is why again I really want to talk about the four-way junior heavyweight title match that had Osprey, that also featured Hiromu, but unfortunately it had um, a horrible, horrible little plague doctor. Uh, it also
0: features <laughs> one half of Jacket Time. Do not forget that.
1: And it also features Kushida. <laughs> if it if it featured not just maybe those three, then hell, I would have just been what, like talking about this match. But it was the fact that this was Hor- Hiromu's homecoming match. It made a, a like a promo and before calling out Osprey and I can tell you I screamed to high heaven when I realised that Hiromu was coming back to wrestling because there was a big time that we never thought he actually could Um, and if how well his neck would hold up especially being in the ring with Will Osprey Um, but start to finish, this match is beautiful even the fact that you're wondering can Hiromu's neck you know, hold up. But the fact that he does so many different things, it puts you in fear of your life, but it also makes you really happy to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, Grant. On this particular match, I mean, Will Osprey come into this year's Wrestle Kingdom? He thought putting on bangers in the last couple of Wrestle Kingdoms. You know, he had uh, the the four way match that we've mentioned that we just don't want like to talk about because of one guy. Uh, <laughs> and then he had the match the year before for the never-open-weight belt against uh, Kota Ibushi, where it looked like he decapitated him. So, but obviously, Hiromu had had all that time out. This is his first uh, official match return, really, you know. And it was more just the case of, one, could he still compete at a level, you know, to go on par with Osprey? And obviously, to how would the injury hold up? And... I think they, really te- they do test it in this match in this particular the first 10 or so minutes because <laughs> pretty much all of Osprey's offense in that spell is on the neck, 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 neck. And you're just like, oh my God, can, is, will he be all, is he actually going to be all right? But yeah, he's more than all right as this match goes on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like obviously the neck was the huge the huge thing because I still remember watching when the neck injury happened live and feeling myself throw up in my mouth a little bit going, oh, that does not look healthy at all. Oh, um nice. But the fact that Hiromu, like his promo when he came back to say that he was coming back for a shot at Mr. Belt, he delivered a whole promo while doing mm-hmm. a, ne- a bridge on his neck, yeah. which is which is a pretty solid way of saying, "Hi, pal, I'm it's ready all for this." Right. <laughs> and that thing, like you, you said, Sarah, Sarah perfectly. Like, Osprey, put your personal issues with him to the side, because um, yes, yeah, he, he can be a bit of an arse nut if you just look purely at what that man can do in the ring, he is by far one of the best junior heavyweights there ever was and he's making good rounds towards trying to make an argument for that in the heavyweight division as well and funnily enough, across those two divisions uh, two of his best opponents that he's ever had and delivered probably the best matches with are one Hiromu and two Shingo Takagi Mm. Um, Osprey just seems to have an, an obscenely amazing chemistry with both these guys and this match at Wrestle Kingdom 14 it just exceeded on every level with the smoothness of the spots, in in particular when when Osprey had done the whole oh I'm going over the ropes, oh yeah I'm diving right back through the ropes, not even going between them, (laughs) I I was like how the fuck did he actually manage to do that? Like watching it back in slow motion I was just like that should not be physically possible
0: I think it was like the most gift thing I'd seen I just kept getting gift that whole sequence you know, he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out, and you're just kind of like, woof. Because I didn't, I didn't watch this one live, and I'm, all I had to see was everybody to this watch this match, this match, this match, and it's just like, <laughs> right, okay, I'll try and watch this match. It's kind of, it's interesting, Sarah, because it kind of, again, I'm going to talk about placement. It comes after a very non-traditional New Japan match between Moxley and Archer. Which is a barrel of laughs in itself. It's actually a really good match. For it. So it's, it's it's such a different turn of pace, but it really just like. I mean, after you've had something like that, when people are getting flown through tables, like fuck, you're kind of like, right, maybe we should maybe, you know, turn it, turn it down. But these guys just like, no, it's just like, full, you know, 20 mile, oh, pardon, 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. 20 miles an hour, that'd be quite slow. 100 miles an hour throughout the full match. And you Know the, the, the maneuvers they're pulling. I mean, they're like, I think it's like, uh, I uh, Osprey goes for that, you know, that back, that back elbow to the neck, and it gets countered mm-hmm. into a blaming pop up powerball. Yes, yeah. like that's innovative, innovative. You know, some of the counters to the, you know, the Ozcutter as well. I mean, mm-hmm. robot does show, like, this is his showing that if it wasn't for the pandemic, he could. he could currently be an absolutely bigger star than he already is.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're looking at some of the spots in this match, I mean, the one thing that I really remember is, basically, it starts from Osprey trying to go for the electric chair, Romo escapes, lands a big, massive chop, and then he goes for a diving sunset flip. And then Osprey counters, puts him back in the electric chair. Oh, no, he counters into a sunset flip, and it's the kickouts after kickouts. And then later on, when, like, Osprey's trying to hit, first of all, he hit, he, he fires back and uses Made in Japan. Horomo kicks out. Shoots Star Press, Horomo kicks out. Oscar, one, two, and Horomo kicks out. In the last, last possible second, That I was screaming. I was screaming in my house at, like, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, whatever time this was at. And I'm pretty sure like, I actually woke up my brother, which was quite funny. Um, but the fact that I, I don't even know what it was. It was just the fact that after seeing the chaos that happened between Moxley and Archer, obviously you're just like, right, okay, there's only three matches left. You've got the Intercontinental match and then the Heavyweight title match. Those are going to be big matches. Maybe this is just like a nice little bit of something different. Nope. Absolutely not. 25-minute match and the guys are going mental for the majority of it. And then, you know, everyone will and an, He brings up a shiny new finisher. It's like, what's it called? Time Bomb 2. Oh,
2: that beautiful I... fisherman <laughs> Emerald Explosion is an oh, absolute yeah. stunner of a move.
1: It's beautiful. Daryl would have been very happy.
0: Oh, ah, so going to come here, yeah, there, I mean, if you're going to end a match emphatically, that's how you end a match emphatically. Because, I mean, he, the, the punish, he does dash out a good fair bit of punishment to Osprey towards the end. I mean, I think it's like the rolling kind of Death Valley driver at the corner just before it as well. It's kind of it's kind of poetic in a way. Is like a man who took so much damage to his neck ends a match in a way that could, looks like he's going to batter the other guys yeah <laughs>
2: Uh, there was a beautiful bit of poetic justice in that finish and I think as well what doesn't get enough appreciation for the junior heavyweights is that compared to the heavyweights, junior heavyweights need to put, set a completely different pace so to keep that pace up for a full 24 and a half minute match um, no way that could the heavyweights keep up that level of pace for that long because it just their bodies would not allow it um, and which is why it's such a beautiful showcase between the two different divisions um, and if you th- if you look at the fact that even like that match in its own, along with the two that came after it, those three matches combined come in at like over an hour and a half, which is probably enough wrestling to be like what about five months worth of NXT Two Point wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. You leave NXT Two Point
1: alone. <laughs> Never.
0: <laughs> Never. Never. You, you leave the fluorescent brand alone. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a pretty much a, or only junior heavyweight match on it, but I think if we have to put one on that it's, a, it's an easy choice, I think, in a way. we know my the one we probably would, as we've mentioned, we would have cons- we were really considered was the four-way match, but yeah, it just kind of misses the cut in that particular one. Uh, so, yeah, time for my last one, and I will be picking the U-Japan Rumble for Wrestle-, Wrestle Kingdom 11. No, I'm joking. I'm joking.
1: Aww. I'm joking. I
0: mean, all, I mean, in all fairness, that match has Billy Gunn and Yosei Tatsu in it. Cheeseburger, Justin Liger, <laughs> Scott Norton. <laughs> it was such a lot. But that particular match, I mean, I could have also picked the match that went on after it, that particular Wrestle Kingdom, which had Tiger Mask W versus Tiger the Dark, which is actually, you know, ACH losing to Kota Ibushi. <laughs> which, is, which is something in itself, but I'll use that as a segue to talk about the match I'm actually going to talk about, and it's the oldest match that we are going to talk about in this particular show tonight. It's coming from Wrestle Kingdom Nine. It does feature Kota Ibushi, and it's his match that year with Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, so it's our second Nakamura match that we've mentioned, and surprisingly, a first Osprey match. No, not Osprey match, sorry, the Ibushi match, which is interesting. This match kind of just to me screamed, you know, peak. Shinsuke Nakamura comes to the ring like an absolute badass with his big, massive crown. He's you, Japan music is still an absolute belter. I'm not hear anybody say a bad word about it, but this is just, I mean, the two of them just like throw each other's stuff at, it, moves at each other, and it just clicks so well. It's just such a bumming fluid match. It's hard-hitting. It's pretty much everything that the two of them would go on to do. would go to do he was, and Nakamura, what he was brilliant at. Some of the sequences in the match, I mean, the early days of that kind of German suplex from the outside of the ring to the end is just absolutely devastating. And it's just like, this is kind of my first exposure to Kota Bushi in what would be a year before he would Get a lot more promise to so many people in the cruiserweight classic, but this is just an absolute hidden gem, I think, of a Wrestle Kingdom match in the in the grand scheme of things. In terms of you know what would come after it, a lot of people know a lot more fondly. Uh, Grant, what's your thoughts on this particular match? This uh, Nakamura Bushi Intercontinental Championship affair.
2: I think honestly, you've 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 chosen a real proper like a diamond in the rough. Like it's it's an underappreciated match. Um, which I think a lot of people sometimes forget about because you know it was kind of before the big New Japan boom um, for Eastern fans, but it was also a really great time for um, Nakamura because it was kind of Nakamura had properly found his character with that IC belt um, compared to like the naughties where Nakamura was known to be a little bit kind of like it kind of felt like a generic MMA guy um, didn't really have a lot of personality, and then 2010s comes in. Grows this amazing personality uh, that is completely badass, um, has this absolute barnstormer of a match, and just further cements his legacy with that IC belt, to the point where the IC belt at points felt just as important, if not more important, than the heavyweight belt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sarah, you mentioned that earlier on how pretty much you know Nakamura became synonymous with that Intercontinental Championship belt. I also think, in a way, now he's kind of becoming synonymous with the one in WWE to a lesser extent, and that he never defends it. But, uh, yeah, what's your thoughts on this match?
1: I mean, coming into this, like, I very heavily, heartedly agree with Grant in the fact of obviously growing this personality. Um, When I sat and watched this for the very first time, because I'd never actually seen this match, um, the way that I could describe... Nakamura even just coming to the ring was like a, a work of art. It was like a masterpiece. He had like the wacky haircut. Grew these like, what you would consider unusual mannerisms. Um, but the fact of that artistic persona, it it sort of masks how dangerous of a man that he is in the ring. Um, obviously like he's a well-known striker and that's what obviously people would watch out from but he he sort of uses it as a way to make people fall into a trap in a sort of way because obviously people are going to mock him, they're going to try and take advantage of him but that's what makes Nakamura so dangerous is the fact that he can back everything up in the ring so he does have the right to be like smug and obnoxious Um, and that's like it's definitely like something that he knows in his head, he's just like nah like I can back this up I can actually be a smug son of a bitch if I want to. Um, but it's also the way that this match sort of starts off. I mean, there's a few there's a few kicks, but not a lot of contact. So it is like the sort of two men feeling each other out. Um, and it's like trying to get in each other's heads in a sort of mocking way, um, which obviously when... Um, when obushi sort of shoves Nakamura's head, you're just like, oh no, shit, we to go down. Oh no, oh no, because me and Grant have decided we are going to try and like write a book or do an entire show of the mind of Kota obushi um, because it's a wonderful magical mystery thing. And this is even before he started taking ultimate head bumps and literally getting hit on the head. Um, that we knew that this was a, a this was it was going to be a hard hitting. Shit, how sorry of a match because you're just like, oh no, oh no. It, 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 I can very much compare it to the way I felt when I first watched um, the match with Hiroki, Goto, and, and um, Suzuki, of how like I was just fearing for my life, even just in that small little moment before the match even started. I was like, oh no, I'm scared, <laughs> I'm, I'm very scared, and then carrying on. I just feared. I just feared. I was so scared that I didn't know what was going to happen because they're two very unpredictable men, and that's what scared me the most.
0: Mm. I mean, Grant, appreciate this particular point. It was interesting seeing him because this was really his first, you know, proper push into the the heavyweight division because he'd largely been, you know, a junior heavyweight up until that point in time. He'd obviously been involved in the G one climaxes before then, but. And he'd have occasionally matches with some of the you know the guys higher up the on the heavyweight side of the card but at this you know that the year before he was out of the g1 and then he came back and he targeted Nakamura straight away and it's just kind of it's interesting seeing them then compared to how we really see them now
2: yeah there's there's something very very different about Ibushi and Nakamura back in those days Uh, I think one of my favourite images from that match is a Nakamura image, which I don't think we've ever seen Nakamura look like this in WWE, but he, he's got the proper unhinged look. Um, and it's after like Ibushi's been kind of mocking him, and it just looks like, you're fucking dead, pal. You you, you are getting barred. <laughs> you are getting you're getting
0: milkied. He <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really do that look very often in, in WWE. He always looks so... Laid back and calm, and so much stuff he doesn't do. Even when he was, you know, just turned heel and feuding with AJ, he still looked very calm and laid back. He's especially calm and laid back now. He's with books. Now the two of them just look like they have that freaking. They they go back and they smoke a couple of dupes, and then they come out and just hit, hit the guitar. You no, know. <laughs> but yeah, Bushy. It's just like it's just it's quite refreshing seeing this point because he is still. I like how he just still he hits a lot of them. He hits a couple of really good like dragon suplexes and that as well in this particular match. He's got some really strong offense. And that said I think a good I think you mentioned kind of there's some kicks early on. And I think this match is just kind of like kind of seeing whose kicks are gonna come out better. And it seems to be the kind of there's a bit of a chase for that kind of conshabsa finish. Obviously, <laughs> as there's no now. It's just a case of who kick I mean there's one point that Bushier hits it on Nakamura and it looks bumming hot like fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, absolutely, because, like, we we both know, uh, sorry, not even both, all three of us know that both these men could kick the shit out of you without even trying. And, like, that's even, like, not having kick pads on to even soften the blow as well. Like, I I feel for both those men in just generalisation of knowing what is to come in this match? And it's just like kick, kick, feel each other out, try and get like those different knee strikes. And I just kept wondering whose head was going to come off first.
0: Oh God! Could you imagine? That'd be
1: something <laughs>
0: else. <laughs> i I, think the, the the journey they kind of take on after. I mean, just Tom's the journey they kind of go on after this match is mental. Because it kind of is, is, is an odd bit of merit to it, the fact that you know, just over a year later, they're both technically appearing at the NXT TakeOver Dallas show with um, mm. Nakamura in his match, debut match there with Sami Zayn. And Kota Ibushi being one of the very early big stars appearing in the crowd. And it's just like, what that? I mean, at that time, I was kind of like, who is, I mean, that's kind of what I came across this match, actually, from that. Because it appears in the crowd, and I'm just kind of like, who the heck is that? I had absolutely no clue. I Didn't really have much of a clue who Nakamura was at that point because I wasn't really very mm. familiar with you, Japan's David. He's got a look at Nakamura's debut, and I'm like,
1: I know, I was responsible for that." It's like,
0: <laughs> it's like Shinsuke Nakamura's debut. And I was like, "That guy played for Celtic."
1: <laughs> oh my God, Steven, we're, you're a bad wrestling fan.
0: I was a, I was a WWE Mark at that point in time.
1: You're Thank a, a bad wrestling fan.
2: See, now you've mentioned that, All I'm thinking of it as the wee boy Shinsu. Shinsuke Nakamura Shinsuke Nakamura you fucking dough <laughs> ball that I mean, video I was, was a classic
0: <laughs> oh it's fantastic <laughs> it's so funny uh, but yeah it's, it's I mean in terms of that show again i go towards the show that they kind of re- they wrestled on it's not the kind of I mean some of the later shows they kind of talked about had so many matches it kind of stood out but this one to me didn't really have as many I mean we had the, um you know there was AJ and Naito they were just on before it, there was a match just after it between Tarahashi and Okada it's, but they also had a, a tag team match that had uh, Shelton Benjamin in it it's not a bad thing you know and Jeff Jarrett was wrestling in a six man tag <laughs> so yeah it's just like it's interesting looking back on you know all these old the, the, that the, the, I, mean, I say that the, the tag match that opens the, the we've mentioned in past shows before is quite good, I think as well. But yeah, this is a it's a it's an underrated gem, I think it's fair to say. And I think it's one that so many guy, people who have got into U Japan after the Kerry Omega stuff should probably go back and watch and be like, yeah, this is what we had before it. Because we mentioned in the, some of the other shows as well, we talked about the Balor stuff as well, a lot of the old Balor stuff too. I mean, there is so many great Wrestle Kingdom matches. I mean, I think both of you are fair to say. I think it's, I'll go to these both. It's quite hard to kind of narrow a rest, best Wrestle Kingdom matches
2: down to just six, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Aye, it's definitely hard to just narrow it down. Like, there's there's so many clock matches, and I think that, that a lot of our decisions have been kind of more recent time as well. You could totally deep dive. There is some absolute classics.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, we do mention a lot of them in one of our, our past Wrestle Kingdom show, right, when I talked a bit about Finn Balor stuff as well. Not even touched upon his stuff. I mean, there was Wrestle Kingdom 8, that was the infamous one where we had the first uh, Okada Naito match. And 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 we also and it was Tanahashi Nakamura in the main event then. We had Abushi and Circle Devitt, you know, Finn Balor in that main event match. But yes, yeah, some fantastic matches that we've all chosen from. Before we finish up, I'm going to ask both my panellists to pick their favourite match that they didn't pick for this particular show. So, Grant, I'm going to go
2: to you. What's your favourite
0: that myself or Sarah picked?
2: I'd probably actually say um, Osprey and Hiromu uh, from Sarah's Picks is just an absolute classic to me. Um, And, you know, we talked about that. was the only junior heavyweight one that made the cut at the moment i think as the years progress the juniors are getting more and more recognition and i wouldn't be surprised if we see that list change up to have more junior matches in the future
1: i want to do a junior heavyweight you know like show let's do it
0: yes yes you have to um, talk about the, you have to talk about the four way though
1: well that's fine then i can just you know pretend that martyrs girl is dead it's fine right because he loses the title anyway. It's fine. The only thing he will get any credit for is his costume. And that is it. Um, but the match that I would probably pick as well. Um, for favourite, I didn't pick. I would actually probably have to see Omega and Jericho. Um, just mainly because that's what brought me to New Japan. Like I I, I, I came for Jericho. I stayed for Huromu and the rest of them. So, yeah. It'll always, it'll always have a special place in my heart, that match.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to, you know, go a different one, actually. I'm going to have to go for Nakamura Styles for similar reasons to yourself, Sarah. That's kind of the one I go back to and just, like, I mean, Okada and Omega is a fantastic match. You know, it's hard to get, but I really prefer the the match that came after it. Which, and, like, I think Nakamura Styles is kind of like my comfort New Japan match. I think it's like that and you've got that and you've got uh, what's the ones in WWE, you've got the Wyatts and Shield but I've got some really weird uh, comfort matches that I don't really want to go into (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Jarrett versus China, no mercy 1999 is in there but uh, that's a completely different story, it's a completely different show altogether so yeah we've all picked a different one which is interesting so what you as the listeners would pick as your favourite match not just from what the six we've picked if there's any ones that we've missed out that you thought is the standout match in the history of Wrestle Kingdom please let us know in the comments for this particular show on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at suplex Street tweet we will not be offended if you do not like our picks either but we will hunt you down and send you junk mail
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I won't be well I might be offended but I'll be very dramatic about it I'll uh, be like yeah. how dare you
2: and I'll just yeah. call you out in East Meets West and hey if any of you get Shut a date out
1: of the...
0: if any of you get a date because of the advice you have heard on this particular show <laughs> please, uh, d- please DM Sarah for her bank <laughs> details she does take PayPal as well
1: you make it for sound this. like I'm a pimp stop it Oh,
0: pimp, just give it advice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. That's a different thing. Uh, So, yeah, we have one more feature show to go in 2021. And it is our best of 2021 show where David Campbell takes the opinions of the full pod and comprises our top 10 wrestlers, both male and female, for the year. It should be an interesting show, which he recorded at the start of December. So, if somebody has a really strong December, I'm really sorry, you It's <laughs> going
1: to list. look very silly.
2: <laughs> we, are, we are going with the PwI style. We've already set the criteria. I was there for the recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just be th- like, let me just be thankful that it's you know, top ten wrestlers of the year and not top ten pod moments of the year, because I think I'd be i will be beetroot by the end yet. <laughs> uh,
0: and in terms of shows this month we're pretty much finished with Central and Saturday Draft live for the year but Grant I believe you, it might be the start of January but there will be another East meets West ahead of Wrestle Kingdom.
2: Oh there is definitely been an East meets West before, um, before the end of the year because we will need to recap the end of World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors <laughs> and also look at our preview towards the Wrestle Kingdom card whenever they decide to grace us with that because no doubt they will leave me and Scott scrambling like can, scurrying rats at the last can, second.
1: Can, can I join in?
2: Yes, you can.
1: Because I want to talk about what is more than likely going to be for Roma and Desperado. And it's going to be... Mwah!
2: I mean, you say that and then this is when it turns it to be yo.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Him sure we are going to have a match of Vessel Kingdom. It's going to be fine. Well, it will
0: have been determined by the time this show came out because the <laughs> final is already... Will it be? Was this is this week of time of recording? So we've uh, this is kind of this kind of start of a lot of wrestle a couple of Wrestle Kingdom shows we've got coming up. The first show we're doing in 2022 is going to be our Mount Rushmore of you Japan. So that is actually coming out on Wrestle Kingdom Night One or Day One, depending on where you are watching the show. So uh-huh. please. Keep an eye on that show dropping at the start of next year We've got loads of stuff as we well. went to rumble season as well So many great shows in the first quarter of the year But until then I'd like to thank my panel who have joined me tonight Sarah, thank you very much
1: uh, You're welcome
0: I do wonder, if Dan is a New Japan fan Will he w- listen to this show? Who knows?
1: I'm going to tell him not to <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not good for you Know No like, outlisten revenue and everything, Stephen But I don't care
0: What's in our revenue? You say that like I make money off of this
1: I <laughs> bet you he does He just doesn't tell us
0: Yeah I've got a secret bank account that's paid for my
1: wedding <laughs> <laughs> Fucking knew it
2: uh, And Grant Thank you very much It's been a pleasure being on I will be DMing Dan privately after this To say he needs to give this It's a must listen to episode So <laughs> we can hear oh, our oh, opinions.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I opinions I scramble out of the room Going no nah! <laughs> I'm really
0: digging into fire calendar. God, I please hope you tune in next week to the next show. <laughs> See you then. Goodbye.
2: Hello, I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us most in one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts Saturday Draft You can tune in every Saturday to find out who. On the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Saturday Draft.
0: As always, you can catch Saturday Draft live on all good podcasting platforms